On this prequel episode, we've got our Phantom Tollbooth fan follow-up. We're learning about Howard Ashman and previewing The Little Mermaid. Hello and welcome back to this Helm's Lit podcast where we talk about movies that are based on books. It's a prequel episode, back in the swing of things. Got another animated movie. We're just mm-hmm. on an animated mm-hmm. film kick. Part of that is that you've been also having some longer books to read. Yeah, I'm reading so you... a, a longer, kind of denser one right now. So I wanted something short yeah. in front of that. Yes. So we're doing uh, The Little Mermaid, and we'll talk more about The Little Mermaid here in just a little bit. But first, we got to get to our patron shoutouts. No new patrons this week, but we do have our Academy Award winners. And they are Winchester's Forever, Kelly Napier, Gray Hightower, Eli Youngs, Gratch, Just Gratch, Shelby Says Black Lives and Trans Lives Matter, Questioning My Hatred of the Hitchhiker's Guide, and Alina Deletkolova. I think we may have a comment in relation to that name. We did, we got a comment somewhere. I think it was on Twitter. And yeah. it may be that person. Because I, that I makes think so. me think that they would match up. The the questioning mm-hmm. my hatred of the Hitchhiker's Guide. Um, so I don't want to address it here. But thank you for changing your name. Because I think we, <laughs> assuming you are the person, was it on Twitter you said? I think it was on Twitter where we got a comment about that. Yeah. Um, the I don't remember the exact comment. But the gist of it was that us um, discussing uh, Douglas Adams um, on our Phantom Tollbooth episode was making that person question that they disliked hitchhiker's guide yeah and which is interesting because it's wild to me and now i haven't read the phantom toll booth but mm-hmm. if you like the phantom toll booth it would be weird that there would be something you wouldn't like at least from the sound of it that you would be like i hate it to me i don't know i just um, love the hitchhiker's guide so much are they different that I've, much different in a certain way well i mean the the hitchhiker's guide is certainly like more adult um true I think um, if I'm remembering the comment right, I think that person had to read Hitchhiker's Guide in school, maybe. Mm, interesting. And I they must be British. A, a lot of people are <laughs> maybe predisposed to not like the books that they read in school. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, I, know, that I, is... I often did not. Yeah, I've, I occasionally I would, but it very often also wouldn't. It would yeah, yeah. seem kind of random whether or not I would like something when I would read it. Read it for and school. I could definitely see how if you had a teacher who was maybe like making you pick it apart. Yeah, that could be really like, <laughs> ugh. Yeah, well, if you haven't revisited it uh, recently. Um, I don't know your name because your name is questioning my hatred of the hitchhiker's guy right now. You're the person <laughs> who changes your name every week. Um, that I uh, I wonder if potentially re- revisiting it would be worth it. If that is what it was, like you read it in school or something. And Because to me, it's legitimately one of my favorite books. Mm-hmm. At least the first one. They're all, all pretty good, but the first one is fantastic. All right, let's go ahead and see what everybody else had to say about The Phantom Tollbooth. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. All right, so on Facebook, we had four votes, all of them for the book. Did not get any votes for the movie on Facebook. Mm-hmm. And we did also get a couple of comments. Um, Julie, who I'm going to preface her comment by clarifying that she's my aunt. Um, Julie said, I haven't seen the movie, so I can't vote, but I love the book. Wordplay is fun. 
Unfortunately, I also didn't read it as a child, but I not only would have loved it, but made sure Katie read it when she was a kid. Colin said, I enjoyed the movie, but the book has so much, has so much metaphor and wordplay that doesn't really translate to a visual medium. Um, which has been basically what I said. Yeah, that like was a, one of the big... The kind of the main components of the book just don't translate well yeah. to film, so... Uh, and Sarah said, I loved the chance to read this book again. It was one of my favorites when I was a kid, but I hadn't thought about it in years, and I had no idea there was ever a movie. The movie was definitely better than I expected. I couldn't quite wrap my head around how they were going to bring the story's linguistic cleverness to the screen. But they did a pretty good job with the visuals and the musical numbers. But it still really wasn't that good, and it erased some of the best messages from the book as well. The one thing that came out of tracking down and watching the movie, though, is that thanks to Amazon's people who watched this also watched list, I have managed to rediscover a lot of movies that I actually did watch and love as a kid. One of those was one of the ones we recommended. Yes. Uh, the Page Master. I had like totally forgotten about The Page Master. And then that popped up and I was like, that is a good like recommendation yeah. coming off of that. Yeah, it's been, I don't, I, I. I watched that movie, I, I feel like, a dozen times when I was a kid. Maybe all within a span of, like, two weeks. Like, every day for, like, two weeks or whatever. And you, but like, I feel like it from Blockbuster yeah, or something? Yeah, but I feel like I remember literally nothing about it other than it has Macaulay Culkin and, um, I think, Christopher Lloyd, I believe. Yeah. Is the page math, or is... He, right? like, goes inside, like, a book world yeah, in the yeah. library. But isn't uh, Christopher Lloyd, uh, the doc from, I think from so, Back yeah. to the Future, isn't he the, like, the page master or... Is the kid the pa- I can't I don't remember anything. <laughs> I don't remember, I don't remember anything. But yeah, I was like, I saw that and I was like, holy cow. That was one of those moments where it's like, I forgot this existed until this <laughs> very moment. And it was a thing that I enjoyed a lot and watched a ton as a kid. All right. Over on Twitter, we had nine votes for the book and one vote for the movie. And a couple comments as well. Um, Shelby Suderman, at Shelby Suderman, said, I chose the book because I think the message is more nuanced. Besides that, I feel like the format better serves a story about the importance of words and numbers. And I think that's fair, mm-hmm. too. Um, Absolutely. A story about the importance of knowledge is maybe better served being a book. Yeah. Well, and, and specifically if it's like a story about words. Yeah. And includes tons of wordplay. A book. Yeah. Yeah. It just makes sense. (laughs) Um, Nathan Bodnar, or Bodnar, uh, said, I loved the book as a kid. My dad, a classic pun maker, introduced me to it, and it definitely helped make me the inveterate punster I am today. Wow. There's a lot of, yeah, it's a lot of uh, dad jokes, puns, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. And Kelly Napier at Standby for Live. Kelly, who was the Academy Award winning patron who mm-hmm. requested the Phantom Toll Booth, yeah. she said, I went with the movie because I liked the changes from the book that were made. I adore the animation style of the movie, and I like my humbug to be less humbuggy. <laughs> Thanks so much for doing this episode. Both the book and the movie mean a lot to me. There you go. Fantastic. Well, we enjoyed it, and we're glad you recommended mm-hmm. it. What about Instagram? Um, We had some votes on Instagram. We had four votes for the book and one for the movie. We didn't get any comments this time. Mm. So what ended up winning? Um, The book ended up on top with 17 votes to the movies, too. There you go. Pretty (laughs) uh, pretty raucous. uh, Not raucous. That's not the right word. A a pretty decisive victory uh, for the film or for the book. So, yeah, 
Cool. All right. Thank you, everybody, for all the feedback. Thank you, Kelly Napier, once again, for that recommendation. Let's go ahead. It's time to learn some things. We're learning about Howard Ashman. No matter what anybody tells you, words and ideas can change the world. All right. So Howard Ashman. Howard Ashman, the man responsible for my two favorite Disney movies. Um, when you say responsible, what do you mean? I mean, you know, a, 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 cr- a creative driving force right. behind okay. um, two of my most favorite Disney movies. Uh, Howard Ashman was an American playwright, stage director, and lyricist. He's probably best known for his collaborations with composer Alan Menken, which include Broadway success Little Shop of Horrors, mm-hmm. as well as Disney Renaissance films The Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, and Aladdin. So your two favorites being Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast? Yes. Yeah. Although I do, I'm, I'm also very fond of Aladdin. Right, but those, <laughs> yeah. I just wanted to make sure we followed up on that, that you didn't drop my two favorites and then yeah. not say what they were, just to annoy people. <laughs> um, so Ashman was born in Baltimore. He is of Jewish descent. Um, fun fact that I found on his website is that his mother claims that she chose the name Howard Elliott Ashman because she thought it would look good on a marquee. Wow. So he went ahead and lived up to that. <laughs> um, Ashman joined the Children's Theater Association at the age of six, um, which kicked off his lifelong love affair with theater. Um, and he went on to study theater at Boston University and Goddard College, um, also attending Tufts University's summer theater program. Uh, He then earned his master's from Indiana University, and for his master's thesis, he actually wrote the book and lyrics for a children's musical based on another Hans Christian Andersen story, The Snow Queen. Mm -hmm. Um, So he got his master's in 1974. Um, He then moved to New York, where he worked as an editorial assistant um, at a publishing house called Grosset and Dunlap. Um, His first two plays that he um, put on were met with kind of mixed reviews, um, but he eventually did leave publishing to pursue theater as a career. Um, He supported himself for a while by freelancing um, for his former employer, um, but then in 1977, he became the co-artistic director at the WPA Theater. Um, He met Alan Menken shortly after, um, and they first collaborated in 1979 on the musical God Bless You, Mr. Rosewater, which is based on the Kurt Vonnegut novel of the Hmm. same name. I didn't know there was a musical based on... Yeah, I didn't either. Um, But following that, um, Ashman and Mencken started to work together on a musical based on the life of Babe Ruth, um, but they eventually tabled that to work on a sci-fi musical that would become Little Shop of Horrors. Never heard of it. <laughs> I know you're lying to me. <laughs> I love Little Shop partly because I was in a production, like a community theater production of Little Shop yeah. once, and it was a really good time. I, I've actually never seen any of it. I, I mean, I've heard a few of the songs, mm-hmm. which is true for a lot of musicals. But I, yeah, I... Uh, I don't know. I bet there are more songs from it that I know that I don't know are from it. Probably. Other than like the main theme. Yeah. Like which I obviously know. But anyways. Um, We'll have to put that one on our list of uh, shows to see if there's Mm -hmm. ever live theater ever again. 
Um, but Little Shop was an immediate success. Uh, it ran for five years at the Orpheum Theater, which was one of like the big theaters yeah. on Broadway. Yeah. Uh, it won numerous awards, spawned dozens of productions all over the world, including a national tour that Ashman um, himself directed. Um, Ashman also wrote the screenplay for the film adaptation of Little Shop in 1986, as well as two new songs for the film version, um, one of which, Mean Green Mother from Outer Space, received an Academy Award nomination. Huh. Um, so in 1986, Ashman was brought in to write lyrics for a song in Disney's Oliver and Company. While he was there, he was told about another project that they had been working on for a while, which was The Little Mermaid. Um, so he got on board with that, um, and Ashman brought Mencken in to work with him. Um, and aside from, obviously, the music, some other significant contributions to the production of The Little Mermaid that came from Ashman were changes to the character of Sebastian the Crab, more on that in our movie facts section. Mm -hmm. um, and he insisted on the casting of Jody Benson, who had previously been in one of his stage productions as Ariel. So The Little Mermaid, also an immediate success. Um, again, more on that in our movie facts section. Um, and during and following The Little Mermaid, Ashman became a driving force during those early years of what we now call the Disney Renaissance. Um, he held story meetings and often said that animation and musical styles were made for each other, which was why Disney needed to continue making musical movies. Um, the idea of taking an animated film and treating it like a big Broadway production with musical theater beats rather than as just a movie with songs in it catapulted Disney animation storytelling style into what we recognize it as today. Um, in May 2020, Beauty and the Beast co-director Kirk Wise was quoted as saying, if you had to point to one person responsible for the Disney Renaissance, I would say it was Howard. Um, so in 1988, while working on The Little Mermaid, Ashman pitched the idea of an animated musical adaptation of Aladdin to Disney. Um, he wrote a film treatment and he wrote a group of songs along with Mencken. Uh, the story underwent a lot of a lot of changes. Um, three of Ashman's songs ended up in the film, which was released after his death. Um, but during early production of Aladdin, Ashman and Mencken were approached to help save the production of Beauty and the Beast, because at that time they were treating it as a non-musical and it mm. wasn't really going anywhere. However, it was also around this time that Ashman's health began to decline, and in early 1988, he learned that he was HIV positive. So in order to allow Ashman to continue working, the Beauty and the Beast creative team and others from the Disney company actually set up workspace at a residence inn near his home. Um, and he often, like, attended meetings, like, through over the phone and stuff like that. So they went to him. Yeah. And despite growing progressively weaker, um, Ashman continued to write songs and to work on Beauty and the Beast. He was involved in the casting of the film and is directly responsible for the concept of the castle's household objects being humans who had also been enchanted. 
Um, after the first screening of Beauty and the Beast on March 10th, 1991, the animators visited Ashman in the hospital to tell him that the film had been really well received by the press. And in the morning of March 14th, Howard Ashman died from heart, heart failure caused by HIV AIDS at the age of 40. I had no idea he was that young. Was oh, that. yeah. Good Lord. Um, Beauty and the Beast was released months after his death, um, just a few months, and it is dedicated to our friend Howard, who gave a mermaid her voice and a beast his soul. We will forever be grateful. So over the course of his career, Howard Ashman won two Academy Awards, one posthumous out of seven nominations. Out of these nominations, four of them were posthumous nominations, um, the most in Academy hmm. Awards history. Um, he also won a posthumous uh, Lawrence uh, Olivier. Olivier. Olivier Award and five Grammy Awards, three of them, which were also posthumous, um, among other accolades. Um, journalist Janet Maslin, in reviewing Beauty and the Beast for The New York Times, quoted from Be Our Guest and wrote, This demonstrates Mr. Ashman's gifts as an outstandingly nimble lyricist. His death from AIDS in March at age 40 cut short a brilliant career, but the jubilant energy of his work will long live on. Wow. Fascinating. It's crazy how much he... Yeah, I, yeah. I truly had no idea because I, I thought... I, to be fair, I don't know if I'd ever heard of him. I know I had heard of him, but like mm -hmm. didn't really know anything about him. And uh, yeah, no idea that... Um, he passed away at 40. That's yeah. wild. And there's a, a documentary about him on Disney Plus right now that I really oh. want to watch. I've been what, meaning do you know what to it's watch. Called? I think it's just called Howard. Howard. Yeah. yeah. Cool. All right. Let's go ahead and find out a few things about The Little Mermaid, the book. For over 50 years, Walt Disney has turned classic stories into classic animated motion pictures. Now, the tradition continues as one of the world's greatest stories becomes the newest Disney motion picture classic, The Little Mermaid. I want to be where the people are. I want to see, want to see them dancing. The Little Mermaid is a literary fairy tale written by Danish author Hans Christian Andersen. Um, it was written in 1836 and first published in 1837 in the collection of fairy of in the collection fairy tales told for children. Um, the working title of the story was actually Daughters of the Air, um, named for uh, other characters who appear in the story and not the Little Mermaid. Earlier drafts of the Little Mermaid featured what Anderson considered a much more tragic ending. Although many scholars and readers have noted that the publish and published ending also isn't what most would consider happy. In 1937, 1837, Anderson wrote to a friend, I have not allowed the mermaid's acquiring of an immortal soul to depend on an alien creature upon the love of a human being. I'm sure that's wrong. It would much rather it would it would depend much rather on chance, wouldn't it? I won't accept that sort of thing in this world. I have permitted my mermaid to follow a more natural, more divine path. Interesting. So a lot of people considered the ending not particularly happy. Anderson did not agree. He felt yeah, that he he, thought he, it was. he made it a good, happy ending. <laughs> but we'll talk about it in the episode. 
Have you ever I, read this? No, I have not read it, and I truly don't remember. I've seen The Little Mermaid probably a half dozen times over mm-hmm. my life. I truly don't remember how it ends, like the movie. I don't. I don't recall. Mm-hmm. I, I have a vague idea because of some note research I did of, but even still, I don't know exactly like what how things resolve. So I just don't remember. It'll be interesting to see. This will be a ride. Yeah. Um. So on that ending, many consider it to be moralistic in nature. Um, P. L. Travers, the author of Mary Poppins, once noted, "This final message is more frightening than any other presented in the tale." The story descends into the Victorian moral tales written for children to scare them into good behavior. All right. So The Little Mermaid has inspired a lot of scholarly analysis throughout the years, um, particularly in regard to Anderson's inspiration for writing the story. Mm -hmm. One prevailing theory... Um, posited by American writer Richter Norton, is that Anderson penned the story as a love letter to his friend Edward Collin. This is based on a letter that Anderson wrote to Collin upon hearing of his engagement to a young woman, which happened around the same time that The Little Mermaid was written. Anderson wrote, I languish for you as for a a pretty Calabrian wench. My sentiments for you are those of a woman. The femininity of my nature and our friendship must remain a mystery. And Anderson supposedly also sent a copy of the original story to Colin. I mean, that doesn't seem subtle. It doesn't seem subtle. <laughs> like, that doesn't seem like it's uh, like he was hiding it much right. in the loop. We call it a theory because we don't have anything where like it, where Anderson literally wrote, like, here's why I wrote this story. Okay, so we don't... But, uh, yes, But it's, it seems yeah. pretty clear why yeah. he wrote the story. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Norton interprets that correspondence as a declaration of Anderson's apparently unrequited love for Colin and describes The Little Mermaid as an allegory for Anderson's life. Um, and later in his life, Edward Colin reflected in his own memoir that he had been unable to satisfy Anderson's wishes. Um, he wrote, I found myself unable to respond to this love, and this caused the author much suffering. Man, there's a whole movie right there. Yeah, I there's know, There's a right? whole romance, a whole, a whole romantic film right there. Um, so kind of... The gist of this here is that The Little Mermaid is actually really gay. Yeah, right? (laughs) Um, The Little Mermaid, um, it has been adapted to various media, aside from just the Disney film. It's one of those ones that's just captured everybody's imagination, Mm -hmm. so it's been adapted again and again. um, Musical theater, television, ballet, opera, anime, etc., 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 Um, There is also a statue of the title character sitting on a rock in Copenhagen Harbor in Longalinia. I hope I did some justice to that. (laughs) I looked it up. um, The model for the statue was actually a ballerina named Ellen Price who had danced the role of the Little Mermaid in the 1909 Royal Danish Ballet production. Well, there you go. Fascinating. I actually saw that note when I was doing movie yeah. research So about the statue. Cool. Speaking of the movie, let's go ahead and learn a little bit about 1989's The Little Mermaid. This holiday season, share the wonder and magic of a very special entertainment event. 
a fantastic adventure above the waves and under the sea. Under the sea! Under the sea! When the sun Disney Pictures, The Little Mermaid. As I just mentioned, The Little Mermaid is a 1989 film produced by Walt Disney Pictures. It is Disney's 28th animated feature film. It was written and directed by Rob Clements and John Musker. Sorry, Ron. Ron Clements and John Musker, uh, who also both wrote and directed. Get ready for it. The Great Mouse Detective, Aladdin, Hercules, Treasure Planet, The Princess and the Frog, and Moana. So, pretty solid list mm. of Disney films there. Um, That's interesting because I, they like did a bunch of stuff and, and then, then left for like a decade and then, and came, then back came back. And came and back. Did Moana, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I thought that was interesting. The film stars Jodie Benson, Kenneth Mars, Ben Wright, Pat Carroll. Christopher Daniel Barnes, Samuel E. Wright, Kimmy Robertson, Buddy Hackett, and Renee Abergenot. Abergenois? Abergenois, I think. I can't remember. Probably. He's uh, Odo from Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Uh, he was hmm. he just passed away like last two years ago. Um, most known as Odo from Star Trek. Uh, but a lot of these people are, are most of them aren't like named. Like mo- right. most people have heard of Buddy Hackett. Um, and some of the other, uh, Kimmy Robertson has been in stuff. Um, and all of them have been in stuff. A lot of them were theater people. Yeah. Uh, like specifically Jody Benson yeah. was. And a lot of the other people were like theater people who had done a little bit of TV or film. Here right. And well, and that was a thing that they were doing in the early Disney yeah. Renaissance too, was casting theater people. Yeah. So the film released on November 17th to critical acclaim and became a commercial success, earning $84 million at the domestic box office during its initial release and $233 million in its total lifetime gross worldwide. I don't know how long of a, how many re-releases that includes because the film mm-hmm. has been re-released in theaters yeah. a half dozen times probably. But um, I know one specifically, they re-released it. <laughs> I don't think I have a note about this. They re-released it. The same weekend that uh, Anastasia came out, <laughs> just to stick it to Don Bluth. <laughs> <laughs> just like, guys are dicks. Sounds like a Disney move. <laughs> yeah. 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 Which Anastasia did, still did fine. But yeah, they re released it uh, the same weekend as Anastasia come out, came out. Uh, so Katzenberg had initially been skeptical that the film would perform well uh, <laughs> since it was a quote, girls film but katzenberg but once it was closer to release uh he had changed his tune and thought it would be a hit he was like no it's too good it doesn't matter that it's a girls (laughs) film it'll be a hit it'll be a block it transcends its femininity it it transcends its femininity it will be good despite the fact that it's about a girl oh (laughs) katzenberg Uh, The film won two Academy Awards, Best Original Score and Best Original Song for Under the Sea. It's rated 93% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, has an 88% on Metacritic, and a 7.6 out of 10 on IMDb. This is one of those movies, is one of the higher reviewed movies that we've done Mm -hmm. in terms of, an 88 on Metacritic is actually crazy high. Yeah. It feels like thing about Metacritic. Well, I mean, if you uh, like it just from my, uh, I don't know for sure, but just from my memory, a lot of even well-reviewed movies that have like mid, you know, low nineties on Rotten Tomatoes, a lot of them will have like mid seventies on uh, Metacritic. And I don't know exactly how I've talked about this before. I don't know exactly how Metacritic does their scoring. Um, But yeah, 88% is pretty, pretty high. Uh, The film would also mark the beginning of the Disney Renaissance. 
The Little Mermaid was originally planned as part of a package of films featuring vignettes from Han Christian Andersen tales, and development for the movie started in the 1930s, right after Snow White. But it was delayed for various reasons. Um, later on, Ron Clements became interested in adapting the story after coming across the story while browsing a bookstore in 1985. Apparently just came across a collection of uh, hmm. Hans Christian Andersen stories and was like, hey, this one, we should do this. He thought it would be a great basis for a film, plus he had been interested for a while in creating a movie that took place underwater. Clements originally presented the idea to Jeffrey Katzenberg in a gong show style idea pitch meeting, which I guess was something Disney used to do. Maybe they still do. Um, if you don't know what the gong show is, it's where you come in and you have like, you know, they go through a lot of things that you get like mm -hmm. 30 seconds and then it, to, to pitch your idea. And if they don't like it, somebody hits a, a buzzer and you're out and the next sounds person like goes. A nightmare. Yeah, sounds like a nightmare. <laughs> um, but it, it was like a sort of like a talent show type of thing uh -huh. on TV back in the day. Um, and apparently they did some pitch meetings in that style. Uh, originally Katzenberg passed on the film because Disney was working on a sequel to Splash, their live action, um, Mermaid the, the Tom Hanks yeah. and, uh, uh, what's her name? Um, I just looked it up. No, I can't remember her name now. It doesn't matter. It does, but I can't remember. Uh, I can't remember the, the actress who plays the, the mermaid's name, but anyways, um, live action mermaid film. They were working on a sequel to that and they thought it would be too similar. They didn't want to do two mermaid movies in a row. Uh, but he literally changed his mind the next day and approved both The Little Mermaid and Oliver and Company. So while in production in the 80s, the staff found by chance the original story and visual development work that had been done by Kay, Kay Nielsen for the original 1930 when they had started mm -hmm. working on it after Snow White. And they were su super surprised to find out that a lot of the changes they had made to the story for the version they were working on were, like, identical to the changes <laughs> that the yeah. writers back then had made to the story for that version, which I makes sense. It, do it doesn't surprise me that the – I feel like the people who get into the point where you're writing movies for Disney are, like, such a specific type of writer. Mm-hmm. Like, you're so molded into that, like, the Disney way of doing things that it doesn't surprise me that a lot of the same kind of changes would be, you mm -hmm. know, you're like, okay, get rid of this, nah, nah, add the, you know. Um, as a side note, I am going to post an example on our social media later this week, um, but if you've never looked up Kay Nielsen's concept art for that early version of The Little it. Mermaid, look it up. Huh. It's really cool. Interesting. So, as you mentioned, in 1987, songwriter Howard Ashman became involved with the writing and development. And you talked a little bit about this, but he proposed changing the minor character Clarence, the English butler crab, to a crab, to a Jamaican crab, and thus shift the entire musical style of the film to reflect it. So the the sort of island Caribbean-inspired mm -hmm. um, music themes that we get, we never would have got Under the Sea yeah, were it not for Howard call. Ashman. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Under the Sea is the one that won an Oscar. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so one of the film's most prominent songs, you know, the part of your world, Ariel's main sort of theme, was nearly cut from the film uh, when, when they saw that it tested poorly with children who became rowdy during the scene. Mm -hmm. This caused Jeffrey Katzenberg to feel that the song needed to be cut. Um, an idea that was resisted by Musker, Clements, and Keen. I'm not sure who Keen is in this regard. Um, I believe that's, um, uh, what, what is his first Another name? Producer. Glenn. Um, no, like a, he was a major art director art, at Disney. Okay. okay. Oh, Glenn Keane. Yeah. That sounds right now that you say that. Um, 
but yeah, Musker and Clements are the Ron and John are the direct. That's mm-hmm. what they go by. Like they, I think there might be even a documentary about them potentially. Yeah, but both Musker and Clements called the similar uh, the situation super similar to how Over the Rainbow was almost cut from the 1939 Wizard of Oz mm-hmm. um, until and so like look, this is this is think about this. this they almost did this to, to Over the Rainbow. It's you don't really want to do this. Important emotional beat. <laughs> you don't want to do this, Jeffrey Katzenberg. Um, so the little mermaid was one of the last Disney feature films in the canon or sorry, not one of was the last Disney feature film in the canon to use the traditional hand painted cell method of animation. Hmm. Disney's next film, the rescuers down under, uh, used a digital method of coloring and combining scan drawing developed by Disney by Pixar or developed for Disney by Pixar called caps ink and paint and caps stands for computer animation production system. And this uh, eliminated the need for cells and the multiplane camera and many of the optical effects that they would use um, previously to mm-hmm. make animation. Uh, and it was a lot of it was used for the very last time in the little mermaid. Some of that computer technology, the cap system was used in the little mermaid as like a sort of a test run in like certain scenes specifically in particular. And you can look out for this in the movie um, towards the end of the film, the scene where Ariel and Eric's wedding ship is sailing away under a rainbow that scene was done with the digital technology. So we'll have to see if it looks any different. Yeah. There was also some elements that were done, like some elements of like shipwrecks I read in certain mm-hmm. parts that were done with the digital thing. But in general, the majority of the movie was done the traditional. Uh, the design, and this is a pretty well-known thing, uh, the design of the villainous Ursula was based upon drag performer Divine, who is a regular in John Waters films, mm-hmm. which are very strange movies if you've never seen <laughs> any of John Waters films. Something else that I found super interesting is that originally the first choice to play Ursula wasn't the actress who plays her, which is... Uh, uh, Pat Carroll. Pat Carroll, yeah. Um, in fact, it was B. Arthur was their first choice from The Golden mm-hmm. Girls. <laughs> After she different. turned it down, a bunch of actresses were considered for the role, including Roseanne. Which that makes sense. That tracks to me. Yeah. Like sort of her like like that nasally brash, like brash, nasally, yeah. yeah. Other fun sort of audition or uh, possible parts or possible casting <laughs> things that didn't happen. Jim Carrey auditioned for the role of Prince Eric. Hmm. Bill Maher and Michael Richards. Michael Richards is um, Kramer from mm-hmm. Seinfeld. Uh, auditioned for Scuttle. And mm, none of them got the part. There was controversy, and a lot of people have heard of this, over the cover art for the film's original VHS release when consumers noticed a very strangely shaped structure on the castle that slightly resembled a human penis. I don't know if you've ever seen this. Have you ever seen it? I've seen it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Disney and the cover designer insisted it was an accident that was like, uh, it was last minute and we were rushing and it was an accident. Uh, but it looked enough like it that Disney on a re-release of the, <laughs> of the VHS changed the artwork and it's it's not there anymore. Some other fun facts. In the opening scene, when King Triton arrives at the arena, Mickey Mouse, Goofy, Donald Duck, and Kermit the Frog can briefly be seen in the crowd. So look out for that, uh, of all the sea people that they kind of pass over. I mentioned part of your world earlier uh, and how it was almost cut by Jeffrey Katzenberg. But this it would be crazy because this song set the precedent for nearly every single following Disney film by having the protagonist voice their desires in song early in the film. This Howard Ashman, and I thought you might mention this, but Howard Ashman called this the, quote, I want song. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to run through a list just so you can get a feel. So you get in your head. Okay, obviously, you know, most people are having a feeling of they know what some of the other ones are. But let's just go ahead 
and do it. Bell in Beauty and the Beast, one jump ahead in Aladdin, I just can't wait to be king in The Lion King, just around the riverbend in Pocahontas, out there in the Hunchback of Notre Dame, go the distance in Hercules, reflection in Mulan, strangers like me in Tarzan, almost there in The Princess and the Frog, when will my life begin entangled, for the first time in Forever and Frozen, and how far I'll go in Moana. Funniest thing I noticed about this list, those are literally like all of my favorite songs from those movies, pretty much. It's a really important emotional yeah. beat. Yeah, and the, and there's something about the way, like, musically that they're always written that I yeah. just find very appealing. But um, and they often are, like, big sweeping numbers, yeah. which we know you like. I do like I do like some drama in my <laughs> musical numbers. I like big sweeping numbers. So this is a really weird note that I found on IMDb, and I don't know that it's necessarily true, but I'm just going to throw it out there. Ariel's body type and personality were apparently based on a real life Alyssa Milano. I've heard that before. I don't see it. I mean, she was like 17 at the time. And if you look at pictures of her at the time, I can kind of see it. I've looked at, I, I mean, like, kind I guess, of. like, in the I, sense she just that looks like, like a girl, like, yeah, like just, slim and pretty. Yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah. But, but, eh. I, to be fair, I don't know what her personality was like. Uh, yeah. I, so I don't, I don't know. Like, I didn't see, I haven't seen interviews of her with her when she was like a teenager. So I have no idea. But I thought that was interesting or weird. I don't know. It was, yeah, whatever. Um, Another one that I thought was super interesting is that the effect of Ariel's hair floating underwater was based on footage of Sally Ride floating in space. Hmm. And finally, <laughs> this is another weird one, and I don't know why IMDb has this fun fact, but they do. Ariel is the first Disney animated heroine to have a bare midriff, as well as the first to display cleavage. <laughs> oh, and the first to have biological siblings. So. Milestones. <laughs> Breaking that glass ceiling, I guess. <laughs> that cleavage ceiling. That cleavage ceiling. All right, we're going to wrap it up. But before we do, we're going to tell you where you can watch it. This one's pretty easy. As always, check your local library. Or if you still have a local video rental store, check with them. Unfortunately, you won't probably for very long because yeah. family video is folding, which I, you know, yeah. we all saw that coming. but. They gave it. They gave it a really. They gave good it a try, really good though. run. I mean, the fact that they made it that long yeah. is is really impressive. Um, so yeah, obviously those, uh, and then obviously it's available on Disney Plus. If you have Disney Plus, mm-hmm. you can watch it on Disney Plus. And finally, you can rent it for three ninety nine on Amazon Prime, YouTube, Google Play, Vudu, etc. We'll be watching it on Disney Plus. So I also own the Blu Ray. You also own the Blu Ray, so we could do either. <laughs> we could do either. Probably just watch it on. Yeah, we'll probably <laughs> just watch it on Disney Plus. Because there's actually they do actually have four K streaming on Disney Plus, so which is nice. I don't know if there's a four K master of this. There probably yeah. is. I don't know. We'll find out. We shall see. So yeah, uh, we're gonna be talking about The Little Mermaid in one week's time. Uh, until that time, guys, gals, non-binary, everybody else. Keep reading books. Keep watching movies. And keep keep being awesome. awesome.